Y'all didn't think I knew how to do this, did you? Roddy wanted me to mention before we continue that this week is Bonnaroo. Roddy's going, uh, along with several other folks, Jerry Bryant, um, Bob Perry. Anyway, I sent him a quote this week. Um, That's one of my favorite. There's a guy named C.T. Studd who was a great... Uh, missionary, uh, revivalist guy, and, well, anyway, I can give you a paraphrase. Basically, C.T. Studd says, a lot of people want to make their place of residence near near churches and chapel bells. And he said, I'd like to make my uh, my spot a rescue point one yard from hell. And Bonnaroo kind of fits. So some of the brothers are setting up a tent as if they've done it the way they've done it in the past. And uh, as people make their way to the concert stage, they have to go by this tent. And many of them stop, and they wind up getting prayed for, ministered to, witnessed to. And uh, on almost every occasion, people have become converted at some point. So I pray for Roddy and Jerry Bryant and Bob Perry, and I don't know who all else is going. There's a number of them that will be down there to minister to these folks attending the Bonnaroo show. Pray for Ricky Skaggs. He's supposed to play there Thursday night. Some of you know he's been sick recently, and he's planning on still doing that show, which every year they do an Opry show at Bonnaroo. So everybody Okay. You're awake? I got some five-hour energy drinks in my office if anybody needs any. I had a cup of coffee, a bottle of Spark, and a five-hour energy drink so that I do not fall asleep on the preacher. So far, it's working. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the access that we have to you, our Lord and our friend. We worship you this morning in many ways. We worship you by the very showing up here with fellow believers to assemble together for encouragement and strengthening. We worship you when we sing songs that exalt your name and glorify you. We worship you when we turn our attention away from our worldly concerns and our daily concerns. And we turn, as the old song says, we turn our eyes upon you, Lord Jesus. We worship you when we come to the table and receive elements as you instructed us to do so. We worship you when we bring our resources in obedience to you. We also worship you when we open up your scriptures And allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us from the Word. And we pray this morning that you would do just that. That every person in this room, every person listening on the podcast, every person listening to a CD would hear the voice of your Holy Spirit speak to us this morning. And I pray in the name of Jesus and everybody said, Amen. Amen. 
We are continuing this this uh, series, which proves there is an everlasting gospel, um, and the church, which is His body, and the intention, of course, is for that we understand the role of the church in the earth, the application of the church in the earth, and what Jesus is looking for when He saves us, sanctifies us, fills us, empowers us. What he's wanting, and of course, the short version is, he's the head sitting on the throne. We're his body here on the earth. We're doing his work. We're continuing the mission he began when he was here in the flesh. And we're doing that under his direction and through and by his empowerment. The church, which is his body. And then we started what in essence is a series within a series And that is uh, the spiritual gifts, the gifting that Jesus does to his church to enable us to do what he's called us to do. For the last uh, two Sundays ago, we began uh, the leadership gifts. And uh, and then, of course, that was part one. Today, we're continuing and hopefully concluding that with part two. You may ask the question, why do we need to study the leadership gifts? Probably no one in this room, or not, I mean, very few in this room, and very few under the sound of my voice through whatever means, would be called to the leadership gifts, which some, as we discussed two weeks ago, some have called the fivefold gifts or fivefold ministry. Um, why would we need to study that? And the reason is, there's two reasons. One is very simple, and that is that God, through the sovereignty of God and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit had the Apostle Paul write this down. And as we'll see in a moment, if it's written down, it's there for us. I was in a, I took a Bible class my senior year in high school. Yeah, back then we could do that. And my Bible teacher was a great lady. She had been a missionary and her and her husband had been missionary to Argentina, but she was uh, of, of the ilk that thought that some things in the Scripture no longer applied to us, especially as they related to the Holy Spirit and the gifts and things like that. And and so she was really making that point one day, and I reached my Bible up, and I grabbed the, one of the pages, and I started, I wasn't going to rip it out, but I wanted her to think I was, rip out. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to rip out that page. She said, why? I said, if it doesn't, if it doesn't apply to us, what, are we, what do we need it for? Let's get rid of it. She still didn't believe me, but I still have that Bible, and that page is still there. The gifts, the leadership gifts that God gives the church, that Jesus gives the church, are for the benefit of the church. I can't go back and redo two weeks ago, but I want to say this again. We must understand that the leadership gifts are not, everybody say not. Everybody say N-O-T. Are not more important than the other gifts. We want to exalt folks who are working and operating in the leadership gifts. And as I said, the scripture indicates that there should be double honor for some people. That doesn't make the gift more important. It just makes it different. So let's, let's lose that idea. But there's... There's something that we gain. Each one of us gains 
from Jesus giving the gifts of, and we'll read it in a moment, of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. Everybody gains from that. And by the way, I didn't mention this two weeks ago. Um, talking about, we talked about the apostles and the prophets, and we talked about the fact that there were current apostles and different, there's a difference between the current apostles and the, the apostles that are called the foundation of the church. Uh, and, but, and he would never let us give him this title, but Brother Charles Simpson has an apostolic gift that he administers, uh, and, and, and we benefit from that, from his apostolic. I was in a meeting long years ago, and a big old guy, I wish I could remember his name, Bob something from Texas, got up and said, Charles Simpson, you won't, you won't, you don't want to hear it, but you're an apostle. Well, he's right, he didn't want to hear it. Uh, but he is apostolic, so we, we have that influence. Today we're going to continue, and we're going to read in Ephesians 4. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. If you would stand uh, in honor of the sacredness of God's Word. I'm going, to, I'm going to read in verse 11 through 16 from the English Standard Version. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom, from Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You can be seated. Several weeks ago, we dealt with those last verses, each part doing its work and working properly. If the body of Christ is to be equipped to do the work of the ministry, if the body of Christ is to be built up into a mature person, a mature body, and to be built up in the unity of the faith so that we are no longer, we no longer succumb to every Every whisper of a doctrine, something that comes down the pikes, we must have the impartation of leadership gifts to the body of Christ. Again, it's, it's a gift like any other, and yet it functions in a way, or, it, or they function in a way that benefits the body of Christ. Again, two weeks ago we dealt with apostles and prophets. Today we take up with the evangelist. That I mentioned the Bible class that I was in as, in high school, and. Uh, it, it was an Old Testament survey in the first semester and New Testament survey in the second semester. And most of the guys in that class wanted to be evangelists. <laughs> all of them wanted to be ministers, uh, and but all of them wanted to be evangelists. I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to be. Uh, I just wanted to be. But evangelists, and, and we give a definition. There's all kinds of ways you can approach this. It refers primarily to a special gift of preaching or witnessing in a way that brings unbelievers into the experience of salvation. You've known people that have a gift. They have an anointing. I mean, my goodness, 
As a teenager, I would lay in my bedroom, and I had a little black and white TV in there. And I'd lay in my bedroom, and I'd watch Billy Graham. And it, I was always astounded in it. That, actually, at that time, I really hadn't committed my life to the Lord, but I would watch Billy Graham. And it's, it's just as he began to speak, something came th- off of that TV screen that moved you. It wasn't even his words. His words were good. But as he began to speak, something happened. Nineteen years ago, I guess it was now, we were in the the, uh, stadium, which is now Nissan Stadium, where the Titans pretend to play football sometimes. Um, And Billy Graham was there, and and we were... uh, in the stadium watching and I'm watching him speak. He's, he's, you know, near uh, Parkinson's had done a job already on him. His, his sermon was not particularly, let's just say if, if he was giving that sermon to a Bible school class or a preaching class, they would not have graded it all that well. But as soon as he stopped speaking, thousands of people, Thousands, not hundreds, thousands. We were, there was 80,000 of us in the stadium, I think. Thousands of people flocked to that stage to accept Christ. Why? Because he had a gift. He had a gift. And that's an evangelist. The evangelist is to reveal who Jesus Christ is to the lost. Also, and here's, here's a key, the evangelist teaches the church how to properly introduce the world to the Lord Jesus. I think we've missed this in times past. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers are given to equip, everybody say equip, the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. Days gone by, I think we've alluded to it many times here, in days gone by, we would have said the work of the ministry, we hired the preacher to do that, let him do it. Let him go do the work of the ministry. We're going to go fishing. I think we're beginning to get it. The body of Christ is beginning to get it. That the, that the, the, the leadership gifts are gifts from Jesus to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. And as Gerard Montenegro said when he was here, or you could call him G, I'm one of them. You know, maybe I function in the office of pastor or the office of teacher. But I'm also one of the saints doing the work of the ministry. But I'm not the one doing all the work of the ministry. So if we're going to say that the fivefold or the leadership gifts are to equip us for the work of the ministry, the evangelist has a role in there. And while we might not all become evangelists, there is an impartation from the evangelist that helps us. Because everybody, say everybody... Everybody who breathes the breath of God and who has God's DNA in the fabric of their being, everybody is called to go out beyond the church walls. Brother Charles Simpson says the worst problem we have is not getting people into the church, it's getting people out of the church. To go beyond the walls with the gospel. You don't have to be an evangelist to do that. Jesus was an evangelist. By the way, I said two weeks ago that you'll find each one of these gifts in Jesus. All the gifts that we'll cover over the next several weeks, you find them in the Lord Jesus. Jesus 
is an evangelist. He said, he said himself, he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Part of Jesus' ministry was to preach good news to the poor. Later on, he says this of himself, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The ministry of an evangelist. Jesus came looking for those who had been lost. We must say of the evangelist, like we did of the prophet, that this ministry should be sent. Now, I know people are going to get mad at me about this. You know, I quote Brother Charles so many times, y'all think you might as well just, he should be here. If it rubs you further the wrong way, turn the cat around. Think about that. The days are over, I hope, when people just go buy an Airstream trailer and set up on an in, in an independent way and just go travel the world being evangelist. They won't be in this pulpit because if they're not connected to somebody and if they're not sent by somebody, they won't be standing here. Got to be, got to be sent. Got to have accountability. Got to have someone that they look to as their their place of authority. That's the evangelist. The mantle of this evangelism, the mantle of the evangelist, causes us to visit or revisit the good news of the gospel, and it gives us a desire. To go out and find those who are poor, not just financially, mainly not financially. Those who are poor and drowning in their sin and in the culture. And share with them the good news that will set the captive free. That's the mantle that we need to wear. And the gift of the evangelist will impart this mantle to us. Paul writes to the church in Rome. I don't have a slide, but... Listen, for I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. You say, well, how does that work? I don't know. Let me tell you what I do know. That there's some way that someone who has a gift can impart some of that gift to someone else through the laying on of hands and prayer, obviously, the Holy Spirit is involved. So the evangelist not only reaches the lost, but teaches us how to reach the lost, how to speak to the lost, how to witness. If you know an evangelist, you need to come alongside them. Then there's the one we know most about, and that's the pastor, or as the ESV says, the shepherd. The word is interchangeable there, the pastor or shepherd. And that obviously is just a gift that tends the flock, that that will comfort and guide and protect the flock, that will come alongside um, as a shepherd. Once again, we find Jesus here. Jesus is the great shepherd. And the reason we know that is that he tells us, besides the fact that we observe, he said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm going to have to be careful here that I don't take go off too many tangents. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. 
even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. A pastor or a shepherd should be willing to sacrifice, willing to lay down his life for the sheep. A pastor should be someone who knows those whom God has put under their care. And that's why we ask you, if you, when you came here new or whatever, that after a certain amount of time, that you would let us know that the Lord had spoken to you and said, this is my home. We don't have a, quote, formal membership like some churches. I don't knock that. That's, we just don't have that. But we do ask that we know who we're accountable to God for. We want to know. And so a pastor, and then, you know, we have our elders or pastors, pastors or elders. We want to know who, who God has put under our care and who he hasn't. Peter writes, once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. It's important that our souls are guarded. It's important that, that we are over, we have oversight in our lives, every one of us. Y'all know that I've always contended that every pastor should have a pastor. I won't, I won't go down that road. But the children of Israel had an issue and the issue was their leadership. The issue was their shepherds had began to utilize their position for selfishness and for power and for financial gain. And he prophesies to them through the prophet Jeremiah and says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. Other places in Jeremiah, he says some things that, that are not so nice, but we'll just leave that alone. That he said, I'm going to give you Shepherds who are after my own heart and my own heart is that they will guide you with knowledge and understanding. A person who is a pastor must understand their role is to guide, to protect. And to remember, this is key, to remember whose church it is and who it is that made them overseers of the church. It's easy for those in leadership to find themselves thinking of the church, and I don't mean this building, of the church belonging to them. Paul, in, in speaking to the Ephesian elders, said to them to remember who purchased the church with his own blood. If a pastor has shed his blood to purchase the souls of the church, then he could say it belongs to him. But I hadn't met one yet that's done that. And I know I never will. It's just a key that we need to understand. It's God's church. And so to do that and to understand that, it means that we, we exercise godly oversight without compulsion. You'll find that in First Peter 5. Godly, exercise godly oversight, but without compulsion. You know what? I can't make you do anything. I don't want to make you do anything. I've told you the story. As a young pastor, I had a man old enough to be my daddy. 
He said to me, here's what I'm going to do. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. Whatever you say, I'll do it. Just say it. Just say the word. I said, you're lazy. And I'm not the Holy Spirit. So you, you got to figure that out on your own, dude. I will, I'll pray with you. I'll walk with you. I'll, I'll counsel with you, but I am not going to be God to you. I am not going to be the Holy Spirit to you. So you, you get back to work. How I many of you know, it'd be a lot easier if we just said, okay, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Well, until they told us to do something we didn't want to do, which for most of us wouldn't take very long. The day a pastor begins to do what he does for any reason other than to tend the flock, to comfort the flock, to guide and protect, it's that day that he ceases to be a valid shepherd of God's people. And I believe at some point God will remove that pastor from that place. So the pastoral gift, here's what it does. It causes us to care for one another. You say, I'm not a pastor. But you receive the impartation of the pastoral gift, and that causes you to care for someone else and someone else to care for you. It causes us to care for one another or to exercise the pastoral gift to one another. Listen to what the Bible says. But God has so composed the body, body of Christ, that the members may have the same care for one another. How do we get there? Through the equipping from the leadership gifts. Another thing the pastoral gifts does is to help us develop to be secure, confident people. To be secure, confident people of God in Him. Secure in Him, not, not, uh, Bumped around by every wind of doctrine, not succumbing to waves, not succumbing to every every movement that comes along. There's an equipping that takes place. And the other thing that it's obvious, but we'll say it, the other thing that the pastoral gift gives us is a place of accountability. Everyone should have a place of accountability uh, if we're going to stay out of trouble. You agree with that? Yeah, that was really, you were really strong on that answer. <laughs> then there's the teacher. Now, there are some, and I don't really take issue with this, there are some who say there are four leadership gifts, and that the fourth one is the pastor slash teacher, that that's really one gift. Um, I don't take issue with it, but I've always handled this passage as five. And the reason I do that is because I have known pastors who couldn't teach their way out of a paper bag. I have. You know, it, they were great shepherds of people, great shepherds in people's lives. But when they went to the arena of oration, they should have stayed with what they were doing before. And conversely, I've known people who were great speakers and could just dazzle a crowd with their oratory skills. But they didn't give a flip about people. They didn't care about the people. They didn't have a heart to shepherd people. And so I think there can be a distinction. I will say that in most cases, not all cases, in most cases, someone who has the gift of a pastor usually has the gift of the teacher, but it doesn't always work in reverse. 
There are people who have the gift of the teacher who are not gifted to be a pastor. Guess who we're going to talk about now? Jesus was the teacher. I could have given you a dozen scriptures. I'm just going to give you one verse in Acts 1-1, the first book, O Theophilus. In the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, again, I could just give you a long list. Jesus is often referred to as the teacher because he taught. He definitely was a shepherd. He definitely was an evangelist. He definitely was a prophet. He definitely was an apostle. And he definitely was, in many ways, is a teacher. A teacher, in in the sense of what we're looking at in the Scripture, this teacher must, everybody say must, must be first be a student of the Scriptures. Because we're not teaching opinions. We're not really even teaching doctrines necessarily. We're not teaching what we read in a book necessarily unless it lines up with the Scripture. We're teaching the content of the Scriptures. Which requires intensive study. If you have the gift of being a teacher, you don't just wing it. You don't just wing it. You have to be a student who is intensively studying the scriptures. Somebody walked in my office one day a while back, and I was studying for, I guess, Sunday morning. And I had like 10 book reference books on my desk. You know, I had to look over to see them. You know, and, and I understand that, you know, I've told you that the Bible sheds a lot of light on the commentaries. People, men of God, people of God from the past can help us. To be a teacher means to exercise the revelatory pointing out of the truth. What do I mean by that? And I'll mention it again in a moment. What I mean by that is that when we teach the scriptures, we're not just teaching academically. We're not just teaching for the sake of information. Although information is important, but we're teaching what the revelation of that content, what does that mean to us? What is God saying to us in, in that? What is a revelatory approach of the teaching that we're, we're doing? We must get beyond just a classroom mentality and find the Holy Spirit in the teaching. Another part of being a teacher is to prod or goad in a particular direction. A teacher should, to, as they teach us through the scriptures, they should move us in a particular direction and just prod us or goad us to, you know, <laughs> y'all know what I just thought about. An episode of the Andy Griffith Show. <laughs> so Barney's trying to, to get Andy to, to believe that this dog is a bloodhound. And he can find anybody. So I had him smell Floyd's handkerchief. Now let's see if he can find Floyd, the barber. So they go out the door, down the sidewalk, and the dog, Andy said that dog couldn't even find his own food bowl. So Barney, as they get to the barber shop, Barney is beside the dog, and he's giving him the knee. (laughs) Dog doesn't want to go in the barber shop. But he's nudging him and nudging him a little bit. And finally... He nudges him enough that the dog goes in the barbershop and he turns and looks at Andy like, see, he found Floyd. Well, come find out. It's called Floyd giving him a lollipop and he wanted another one. Anyway, 
And sometimes, and sometimes, as a teacher, what you're doing is you're giving someone the knee. You're just saying, "Go." What about that direction? You're not pushing them. You know, you can't pick up the dog and carry it in the barber shop. But you're just saying, "What about that? Examine that." And that's what part of teaching is. Primary responsibility of one who has a gift of teaching is to to teach and instruct the scriptures. I'm sorry. This is an important verse. You you may want to take your phone and take a picture of it or look it up in your Bible. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The scriptures by the revelation of God's Holy Spirit, brings us hope and helps us live this life. And I referred to this earlier, that teaching and knowledge are not merely scholastic, but they must be dynamic. If you're going, the person who has a gift of teaching must be able to teach with the, with the dynamic of God's Holy Spirit. So what is instruction? As it pertains to the teacher, what is instruction? Well, instruction is, first of all, to illuminate the Scriptures, to begin to illuminate what the Scriptures say. To There's also the issue of reinforcing what has been taught but may have been forgotten or neglected. Peter wrote this letter, and he writes in it, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Some of the gift of the teacher and some of the gift of the pastor is to remind us of maybe what we already knew, but we've neglected it. And to bring us back to that. Another part of the gift of a teacher should be to motivate us to personal study. You know, I can't stand up here and tell you everything needs to be said. I can't tell you everything the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. But I hope that through the gift of teaching that you would be motivated to go home and to do your own study. Hmm. I don't know where I got this quote. I tried to find who to give credit to, but whoever I got this from said, The problem is we have people who haven't opened a Bible, haven't prayed at all, haven't sought fellowship within the body, haven't encouraged anyone or sought encouragement. They come on Sunday morning looking for a miracle pill provided by the pastor to overcome all their ills. Don't say, oh, me. But how many of us have been guilty of that? We go to church, we sing some songs, we put a couple of peanuts in the offering basket, we listen to a sermon, we say, Amen. We go get in our car and we go home and say, I'll see you next Sunday. Well, that doesn't mean, you know, y'all know around here, we don't have a pile of meetings to come to other than home groups, small groups. But are we studying on our own? Are we taking what the Holy Spirit has said to us. Are we going home 
and taking whatever notes we might have taken and, and go over them again. What is, what is God wanting to say to me from that? Gift of the teacher would move us into that place. And so to, to finish up, I just want to talk about briefly, real briefly, the results of the leadership gifts. Not just the teacher or pastor evangelist, but all the leadership gifts. What are the results? What does Paul tells us? tell us? Well, first of all, we are completely furnished or equipped. We're completely furnished. The, the wording there in the original language and the imagery is of a person who's going to go out and rescue someone on the sea. And they put everything in the boat that they need to go make that rescue. All the tools, buoys, whatever they need, life rings, food, drink, whatever they need, they put it in the boat and they go out to rescue someone on the sea. They are furnished. They're equipped. And we pray that the leadership gifts would give us what we need to go out and make rescues on the sea of life. I'm like Sean. Y'all sure are quiet today. Who's missing that makes a lot of noise? Let's see. <laughs> He's your husband. You can do that. We are firm in our faith because of the leadership gifts so we can stand. We need to be stable people. It, it grieves me when I see someone who's a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't doubt their salvation, but they're hot and cold, up and down, in and out. One week, I had a friend in high school. <clears throat> he Every week, he'd come in. Well, Larry, I backslid this week, which meant he did a good job of it. I backslid this week. And then a week or two later, he'd come in. Hey, Larry, I got saved again. I said, you did what? Yeah, I had that meeting the other night, man. The Lord, the Holy Spirit just came over me and I got saved again. I said, well, I don't know if I believe in that, but as long as you're saved, I'm happy. Two weeks later, well, there I backslid again. But God played a real bad trick on that, that boy. He made him a pastor. He hadn't backslid in a long time. <laughs> Did a funeral in his church a couple years ago. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Hold to the traditions, which is really a word that just means the transmission or the communication of a precept. Hold to what, you, what God has taught you. Hold to what you've heard. Stand and stand firm. Don't let the enemy make you waver. And finally, said my phone knew it was final. Finally, the gift of the leadership gifts is to cause us to be able. Everybody say, be able to teach others also. It always ends in this. It always comes back that we are not sponges that are soaking in God and God's word and God's teaching but we are vehicles of exportation. Can I submit to you the imagery of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and four rivers going out of the garden? Can I say to you that the, in the perfect world, 
that they would be exporting what they had in the Garden of Eden out. And you and I, we come into this place, we gather together, and we're not intended to be sponges. We're not intended to be a holy huddle. Boy, don't they have a nice huddle down there? Look how they huddle. Look how they huddle up. Well, when are they going to call a play? Well, they don't call plays. They just huddle. Let me tell you something. Jesus called a play a long time ago. It's never changed. It's called go and make disciples of all nations. Everything we do in conjunction with this ministry, everything that the leadership gifts communicate to us is to bring us to that place where we will be able to teach others also. You don't have to have papers to do that. You can have toilet paper, but it won't help you. You you just got to have the gift of God and the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to Timothy, what you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There are four generations in that verse. Four generations of God moving in people's lives. And so let us, let us be people who allow the ministry and the impartation of the leadership gifts wherever we receive that impartation that motivates and moves us to go out into the community, into society, into where we live, play, and work, and allow him to export himself through us in that arena because of the equipping that we've received through his gifts of leadership. You okay with that? Stand with me.